Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 34. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd, and it's about 2.30 on the West Coast of the United States. We usually do these on a Thursday, or sorry, on a Tuesday. Occasionally, they'll slip to a Wednesday. This is actually the first one we have ever scheduled for a Wednesday, thinking doing a podcast right before the Fed announcement was probably not nearly as interesting as it would be um, after the Fed announcement. I think that's definitely been the case. And if we wait, of course, then the Fed announcement's old news. So here we are. We have five topics today which really uh, bounce around between fiat and crypto. And then the last topic weaves them all together, which is really, it's really quite nice, I think. The first topic is obviously what the Fed did today. 25 basis point increase. For those of you listening to the podcast for a while, you know I've been predicting it since I think January uh, that this was what would happen. And I've been right this year, except for February, I thought there'd be a 50 bip increase uh, and there was only a 25. Otherwise, I'm, I'm doing reasonably well in terms of track record. And if you listen to the podcast last week, you know, one of the things I said was, look, it's to me, it's just abundantly clear it's going to be 25 bips. What's really important is the language. And sure enough, that was the case. The, there's one set of language that came out, one sentence that came out, and another sentence that came in. The sentence that was taken out was language about future hikes. And the sentence that was put in was that the Fed didn't promise uh, any any interest rate reductions. And in my notes to myself as I prepared for the podcast today, I put in parentheses, duh, because really it's just painfully obvious that the Fed wasn't going to do that because it wouldn't want to tie its own hands. So watching the reaction on the markets, and I track the S&P as, as often as not, was just absolutely hilarious. I don't know that I've ever seen the S&P move up and down 1% as many times and as quickly as it did after the Fed announcement. It basically, with zero as the midpoint or unchanged as the midpoint, went 50 or went 30 points or so up to 30 or so points down one, two, three, four, five, at least six different times today. And then it just uh, sort of fizzled out at the close, ended down almost 29 points at 4090. So again, bouncing around uh, the 4100 level and the so closed down 0.7%, so a, a tiny, tiny close. In this regard, by the way, last week was the only week I've ever seen where four out of the five days, in fact, three out of four days, the S&P had moved by less than 10 basis points. So with all this intraday volatility, the net change is usually very small. And so today it was 70 basis points, small or probably fairly average by historical standards, given the volatility, quite small and actually quite a big move compared to um, the last uh, the last couple of weeks. But really, for most of April and May, markets just didn't know where to go. And if you look at the S&P, I'm not looking at the one month S&P for that month. It went in just below 4,100. It's exiting just below 4,100 if you look at 30 days. So it's just it's frighteningly markets are frighteningly uncertain. 
in the last, not so much in, in April, although especially second half of April, because Bitcoin was up in April, but on the crypto front, you also see a lot of uncertainty, but very often you see exactly what we're seeing right now, which is that as soon as markets close, crypto markets, especially BTC, sort of follow fiat markets, as soon as they close, crypto moves up. Today, at the close, crypto was at about 28.3, and right now it's effectively at 29,000. So nice, big uh, move up. Same thing with with ETH, ETH broke through 1900 again. So important moves through uh, important levels, important resistance, recent resistance levels. And so what you're seeing is that is that the fiat markets have one reaction. Crypto markets are beholden to that reaction when they're open, hence an increased correlation in that regard. And then the correlation breaks down, shatters actually, as soon as fiat markets, the, generally in the United States and generally in the East Coast, break down. And that, that brings to mind an interesting trend, which is item number two. And this, this is about Bit, uh, Bitcoin, it's about crypto now, but the article appeared in Bloomberg, I actually saved the reference because I found it kind of interesting. And that is Bloomberg's headline was that Bitcoin, after Bitcoin has four straight months of gains, there's a huge average move. So the headline is four-month winning run brings 100,000, 100K in view, if history is right. So if you look a little more detail, every time in the past, BTC had four, has had four straight up months. Within the next one year, 12 months, the average move up was 260%. So if you calculate where... Uh, BTC was at the time this was written, so 260% is 3.6x. It was around uh, around 30, at the time 30,000. 3.6 times 30,000 brings you to well, right around 105, let's put it that way, with some rounding. So you have, so a very, very bullish point, st statistical point uh, from Bloomberg, but it's not like this has happened dozens of times. It's only happened, I think, five times has been such uh, such an increase. But our thesis is basically, basically that for a number of reasons, the last and most critical of which is reduced correlation, that we're going to see Bitcoin moving up this year while fiat moves sideways. So far, you know, we're in the fifth month, so there's a lot of year left. That's proven to be exactly the case. The third point is a predictive one as well, but in this case, it's predictive for the S&P. So it turns out that if you look at the eight previous monetary tightening cycles, which really runs from World War II to the present. The S&P in each case ended up an average, up an average of 13% over the next 12 months after the last rate increase, which in our case could be today. Uh, and if you dig into the data, what you find, this is my addition to it, is that almost always those moves up started three months later. So here's what happens. You have the S&P, um, which presumably has been going down during interest rate hikes or like we are now going sideways at best. And then after the last cycle, it continues to go down for like, or last tightening, continues to go down for another three months. And then for the next nine months, it moves back up. And magically a year later, you end up 13%. So a number of things here. First of all, I, I don't recall if I've said it on a podcast or not, but I'm saying it to my team 
and that is sell in May, go away, which is this rhyme aphorism, if you will, from fiat trading, may well prove to be a good idea for fiat this year. This three-month doldrums period, if you will, or descending period, May, June, July, uh, drifting into August and and three months, I'm not going to be too uh, fixated on that, let's say through the end of August, will be a negative or a sideways time and a time to get into this market would be in late August, early September, because then between that date, between September, let's say, and next April, you'll see a very good upward move overall in the S&P. That actually feels right to me. I'm still sticking with my prediction of 41, 4,200 for the S&P at the end of the year. But between now and then, I think it's going to go down over the summer. It'll come back in the fall and it'll end up around where we are now, a little higher, 41.42. And then there'll be a nice another move up. We may see 45 by next April or May. That feels good, and it corresponds with a, a loosening cycle and um, other things that have historically happened once interest rates are no longer hiked. So you have two interesting predictions, and of course, that's the last thing to contrast. The data uh, with respect to BTC call for a 260% increase. And the data for the S&P call for a 13% increase. So exactly 20X from one to the other. It would be interesting. Uh, I'll try to work out a prediction for these two, what the numbers would be. If BTC is correct, it'll be at $105 by May of next year. And I'll work out what the the S&P will be. It won't be my prediction. Uh, I'm sticking with what I said. But it'll be interesting, uh, an interesting conclusion to pull, compare and contrast, you know, uh, about a year from now as to how these two statistical predictions worked out. Um, it'd be an interesting thing. We haven't done that sort of comparison yet. But we'll do a scorecard on, to some extent, other people's predictions or stats. So the fourth point is... With respect to, I alluded to earlier, the further correlation breakdown. It shattered at the close today, but that's just one day, very short time period. But this whole quarter, the correlation between BTC and U.S. equity markets has been plunging. Part of that is because those markets have not done very well, not just because of interest rate tightening, well, because of banking concerns, you probably saw that PacWest today was down an amazing 50%, but its price had fallen so much already that meant it went down to $3 from $6. Uh, PacWest, of course, is one of these banks who horribly mismanaged duration risk by, by buying long-term, long-term bonds that lost a lot on mark to market. Their yield doesn't change if you hold them to maturity, but maturity is a long time. And people are losing faith now. So you have short-term deposits on the one hand and long-term investments on the other. And a reduction in short-term deposits forces you to sell those long-term investments. But the long-term investments in this case have lost a lot of value because interest rates have gone up. So interest rates go up when you mark to market. The the resale price of a bond drops, and in this case, drops considerably. So we'll see what happens. It may be the fifth bank after most people don't call Silvergate as a default that just decided to go out of business. But now you've got FRB, SVB, Signature, and PacWest on the 
chopping block, so to speak. So because of those concerns and then related concerns, which are commercial real estate concerns, first of all, commercial real estate's really suffering because of work from home and the RTO return to office uh, is not happening uh, in many cases very quickly. So uh, vacancy rates are just insanely high. The lowest vacancy rate of any city in the United States, sorry, the, uh, yes, the lowest vacancy rate is 60% occupancy, so 40% vacancy rate. Just crazy numbers in terms of vacancies that you're seeing. And office buildings, contrary to what some people may say and say, oh, we just want to convert it into housing. If you look at the, uh, the plumbing requirements, the heating requirements, the electrical requirements, because offices are, are built to be occupied essentially during the day, it turns out that only about 10% of office buildings can actually be repurposed as housing. So now there's more and more talk of ripping down office skyscrapers and putting up residential skyscrapers. It's really quite amazing. Uh, it's just, uh, they're, they're, it's surprisingly limited what you can do with, uh, with office space. Uh, there are only so many vertical farms you can build at the end of the day, and they need a lot of water. So that commercial real estate issue also is interrelated to the banking issue because regional banks provide most commercial lending in the United States. And then there is a fear of contagion of either one or both of those factors. So that's why, that's why the S&P is moving sideways today, obviously moving down a bit. But those are fairly structural problems. They may be short term, but they're fairly significant. They don't <clears throat> lend themselves to quick resolution. As a result of that, you have people who, especially crypto folk, who are saying, wow, I've got some, uh, I've got investments in the fiat space. I'm going to reduce those investments and go into BTC or go into crypto. We've talked about this before because of some of the issues, particularly with Circle having a lot of the money backing USDC in uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, stable coins don't have quite the aura of stability that they had before, especially with algorithmic stable coins like USDT being crushed last year. So you're really seeing a lot of money that goes into crypto. Most of the money that goes into crypto go into BTC. Now with the last crisis with SVB, BTC dominance hit 47.7%. Then it fell back. It actually fell back to about 45.5. Now it's back up to 46.5, somewhere in between. But most of last year, it was around 37, 38 so you're seeing a real significant and apparently long-term increase in Bitcoin dominance in terms of market cap. And obviously new money or additional money moving out of the fiat space because of concerns, structural concerns, if you will, is bullish for BTC and hence four positive months in a row. April wasn't positive by very much. But nevertheless, if you're looking at five positive months in a row of May should be an increase, small or otherwise, uh, it will be even more bullish, uh, an even more bullish case for um, BTC investing, specifically in crypto in general. The fifth and last topic relates to the shutdown, uh, the government shutdown that I predicted a couple of, of weeks ago. And... That is, the concerns about a U.S. government default and the shutdown have been increasing markedly. And it's increased for two reasons. One, the date at which uh, 
at which the U.S. government will run out of money has moved closer and the dates become more clear. And the reason for that is a bit ironic. Uh, one of the reasons that both of those things have happened is because the IRS this year has been processing refund checks and processing tax returns faster than usual. So whereas before the thought was that those checks would take a while to be cut and there was a lot of uncertainty regarding the date, a lot of them have been cut already. So the date has moved up. And since we're now talking history, not forecasts, the data has become more specific. So Janet Yellen came out last week or over the weekend, actually, and said January 1st, June 1st, sorry, will be the date after which I cannot guarantee that the U.S. government will have any money to function. We discussed earlier what parts of the U.S. government shut down and what don't, but it looks as if we have less than 30 days to solve this problem. Now, the U.S. House of Representatives, which is barely uh, controlled by Republicans, passed a law that says, okay, we'll raise the uh, credit limit by $1.5 trillion, which kicks the can down the road for nine months. It's really frustrating because we're going to be in the same place in such a short period of time. But it also calls for some fairly draconian budget cuts. And as I mentioned earlier, this is a, a way for for Republicans who were out of power in both houses and now are in power in one house to vote again on, on various laws uh, appropriate, that involve appropriations when they lost before, now they want to win. So it's going to be another vote that they're forcing. Uh, I don't like this because, hey, we had one vote already, get over it. But I can understand where they're coming from because they knew they were going to get overruled. Be that as it may, you have that gauntlet now thrown down by the by House Democrats. You have President Biden who has said, I'm not going to negotiate, just raise the, the damn debt ceiling. And so we have this game of chicken going on. Some clever person took a look at when the House and Senate are in session and when the president is not scheduled to be out of town in May. It turns out there are a grand total of seven days when the three bodies, the two Houses of Congress and the head of the executive branch are all in D.C. at the same time, the first of which is May 9th. And lo and behold, that's when uh, the president has called a meeting with uh, House and Senate representatives to discuss, particularly the Republicans, to discuss well, what to do with the debt ceiling. In the meantime, there's the 14th Amendment of the United States, which was actually it's an interesting story. It was passed in 1866, so one year after the, the end of the Civil War. The 13th Amendment freed the slaves in the South, I might add. It's, uh, it's sort of a sad story there. It didn't actually do everything uh, for, uh, for the slaves at the time. The 14th Amendment was kind of a cleanup for a whole bunch of aspects of the aftermath of the Civil War. And one of those aspects was that if the South, which had more, more people and controlled the Senate, more states, controlled the Senate as a general rule, uh, it dominated Congress prior to the, the Civil War. If they took over and dominated Congress again, the North didn't want the South to repudiate debts that were incurred by the North during the Civil War and didn't want the South to acknowledge the debts of the Confederacy. So we're fighting the Civil War again, but after the after arms have been put down, and doing it in terms of in terms of laws. Anyway, the Fourteenth Amendment said that basically none of the, neither of those things could happen. 
But by saying that the U.S. couldn't repudiate its debts, there is an interpretation that's not completely illogical. That is, hey, we cannot uh, shut down the U.S. government with respect of bills that have already been passed. And basically everything that's spent has already been approved. So it's a debt and the U.S. can't default on it. It's not a great argument, to be honest, because the purpose is clearly something else. But as lawyers like to say, it's certainly a colorable argument. And we'll see if the Democrats end up going down um, that road. Frankly, I would love it because whoever is in, in power, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, having to vote on, this tw- uh, on things twice is a, bit, uh, is a bit ridiculous. And there's literally no other country in the world that has to vote to raise its debt ceiling to accommodate other spending bills that it's already approved and passed and that the chief executive of that country has approved. So it's a bit absurd, but we are where we are. So I'm sticking to my to my guns. I don't think either the Republicans or in, in the House or President Biden plan on blinking, at least not for the near term. And given that we're you know, in the year before an election year, and certainly the the preliminaries for whoever is going to run for president on the uh, Republican side are uh, hotting up considerably. There's a little bit of a challenge to President Biden, but I don't think Robert Kennedy Jr. is going to get very far. Nevertheless, you're, they're, they're starting to be posturing for the president, presidential election next November. Uh, with the House controlled by the Republicans, they're going to posture because they don't want to give in to the, as they would call it, spend, spendthrift uh, Democrats, and President Biden is going to want to stand up to those horrible Republicans. So I don't see a lot of give in this sort of situation. It's it's probably like the writer's strike in Hollywood, the longest of which landed, lasted 153 days. There just is not, I don't see a lot of compromise here. So I think this one is going to last a while. I think there's going to be uh, the shutdown, and a shutdown leading into summer is even more difficult because uh, the necessary people aren't in Washington as much as they would be otherwise. And frankly, people don't use the government as much in the summer as they do uh, during the peak working time, which is generally uh, generally the spring uh, up in, uh, the spring after Christmas and the fall up until Christmas after vacations. So we will see what happens there, but I'm sticking with uh, with my prediction, even though we have seen a little bit of progress, at least the two sides are meeting. And so that's what we have for today, uh, May 3rd, 2023. Uh, fascinating day, fascinating developments because of, of Powell's annou- announcement and what the FOMC decided to do. And there'll be plenty to talk about, I'm sure, next week as we take a look at the immediate aftermath of the decision. Thank you all very much.